I want to speak to you uh, from the book of 2 Timothy to some very familiar passage of Scripture that I know that you've heard. I know that you've heard, but I think you're going to hear it and see it in a different light tonight. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I thought Brother Chris, Pastor Chris, done a phenomenal uh, job Sunday morning with the message that he was bringing uh, about the coming of the Lord and how he was talking about how precious our time was and the times and us not knowing of when the Lord is going to come and how we needed to be ready. And I thought how ironic it was that only a couple hours later he would find out that somebody he loved dearly would slip from this world. He hadn't, wasn't even looking for that, but she slipped from this world and went on into eternity. Most of us read this passage of scripture. You have heard it and most of it is preached at a funeral it's a good funeral kind of message you know I've done my thing I'm ready to go and and all. I don't think that's what it's talking about at all I believe Paul is talking about and this is what I'm going to entitle this it just rose up in my spirit in shifting times in shifting times if you were with me last night, some of you were. I'm not going to preach that message again, but I prepared the region. I had been sending out a message, an invitation for my pastors to come in. And as I was doing that, in that message that many of you probably didn't see, here is what I said. I need you to be here on Tuesday night, August the 30th, because I believe something is shifting through the region. How many of you listened to Dutch Sheets? Give him 15 this morning. And out of him, he was talking going forward, and he's talking about divine shift. Divine shifts. I believe that's where we are. Things are shifting. Look at your neighbors say things are shifting. Now, I believe here in this passage of Scripture, Miss Judy, Paul is writing a letter. It's a second letter that he is writing to Timothy because he said, my, I'm, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready being poured out as a drink offering. My time of departure is at hand. And that is true. He's getting ready uh, to finish his course in, in this life. But we have to look at it different, not as one man dying, not as one man just dying and going off the scene and he's encouraging his successor to take over. I believe he's talking this. One great move is coming to an end and another great move is on the horizon. It's about a move of God that we don't see. We never find, now somebody can correct me, we never find in the scripture or where the Bible is, has a full message where Timothy has authored any of the books of the Bible. Paul is finishing something. 
Now he writes because in, I think it's in the book of Colossians. He said the apostle uh, to the saints, the apostle Paul and my son Timothy. So he even gives Timothy credit. I believe he was saying that of the time that he's walking with Timothy. He's telling Timothy, he's laying the foundation for what now is to be built upon. I believe this is about one move coming to an end. The shift is here and another move is coming on. Everybody say we're in shifting times. So in these shifting times, when you read this, you need to understand something. Three things Paul said. First of all, Timothy, he said, I fought a good fight. In other words, Timothy, these shifting times are going to cause you to be in a fight. Hello? I'm going to show you where they are. Just a minute. Hang on with me. It's going to cause you to be in a fight. Here's the second thing. He said, I finished my course. He was saying, Timothy, you better get a finishing attitude. Your attitude has to be set for this moment or you're going to miss what God is going to do. Here's the third thing he said. I kept the faith. Here's, here's the third thing you're going to have to recognize. We're going to have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus, not what we're doing, not in our giftings, not in our talents, not in all the things that we dream of, but, our, but our, I believe with all of my heart that our faith has to be in Jesus, that he's great enough, big enough, capable enough with you or without you to fulfill what he's going to do in the earth. He really doesn't need our help. He needs our cooperation. Because sometimes our help gets in the way. Oh, come on, somebody. Our help, uh, you, you know, sometimes you're better. Hey, go sit down. Anybody ever had anybody helping you that? Just go sit down. Because they're not doing what you want done anyway. They're doing their thing or they're after that. But sometimes this is why I've got to keep my eye upon Jesus. And church, let me bring us to something. The goal, the prize that Paul was after was not after ministry. It was not after these things or it was after this. Paul come to say this. I've got one thing I'm pursuing and I want to receive Jesus. I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection I want to see Jesus I'm going to tell you heaven all the things that we talk about heaven to make it great when we get to heaven, I'm telling you, the mansion won't matter. The crystal sea won't matter. The gates of pearl won't matter. The trees that line the river won't matter. Even seeing your loved ones won't matter. I'm telling when you, when you step into heaven, the only thing that you're going to rejoice over and the only thing that's going to matter is Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why he said, I'm the author and I'm the finisher. The end of your faith ought to be Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, it's Jesus. 
He's the prize, I believe. I think Pastor Chris talked this a little bit Sunday morning. Paul said, I press towards the mark of the high calling of, of God. I believe he was talking about that I can be like Jesus, that I can see Jesus and know him. It's Jesus. I know it's Wednesday night, but I got the preach in me right now. Hello. Because I believe in what I'm speaking and what God has revealed to me. But if we don't recognize that things are shifting. See, things shift in three different areas. It shifts spiritually. It shifts, and this is the only way I knew how to say it. Either by the age or the time that we're in. Here's the third thing. And we're always shifting physically and emotionally. Each one of them, all three are very much separate, but all three can be greatly involved in the very same thing at the very same time. See, God can begin to shift us spiritually and it will have an impact upon me physically and with my emotions. And he's even shifting me because of the time and the age. Sometimes it's the situations that are around us that shifts us into things that you would have never moved had those things not happened. I can look back to a time in Paducah when we were pastoring there in our early years. We had a rented little building. It was a nice little building. I guess maybe we could have seated it and it would be about like this section, about three quarters of this section right here. We had actually outgrown it. It belonged to a Presbyterian church. We desperately needed another building and we couldn't find one anywhere. We looked, we were praying, we were doing everything that we did. We did that for, I don't know how many years. We did it for a number of years. And then we found out one day, we got word that the Presbyterian church just sold our building out from under us. We've got, we've got to get out. They came to us and told us, you guys have got to get out of here. You got to move. I can't remember exactly how much time we had, but they told us we, we got to move. They sold our building. What did the selling of the building do? It forced us to begin to look in places or begin to position us in places that we would have never, ever looked had not that moment of, of, of natural things shift me into that. I don't know how many times I've seen that in spiritual matters and issues. Sometimes it looks like, man, this is a fight. See, I told you, Paul said, this thing is a battle. This thing is a battle. And I don't realize it. And sometimes I'm out here battling. The whole time I'm battling, it's God trying to position me into something that I would have never got into had not that moment brought a frustration to where I'm at. Because sometimes he's got to end something in order for you to come into where he wants you to really be. But we love hanging out back here because this is all we've known. How many of the prophets have told us this past year, speaking to this house alone, it will not look like it has in our past. We are not to take our cues from yesterday. We've heard it over and over and over. I deal with pastors all the time. They tell me the same thing. And yet I keep telling them, we keep doing what we've always done. 
and we call it God. And we keep believing that, well, maybe that's what we're supposed to until we get a better direction. But the reality is sometimes God brings something that feels like a frustration, but it's actually a divine shift that you and I need to keep pressing ourselves into. Paul said, I fought a good fight. It's a fight. You know that word fight means, got a couple definitions for you. It means a struggle. It means a struggle. It also means to compete for a prize. Wait a minute, I'm not out here just beating in the wind. I'm going for something. I remember a few years ago, a number of years ago, we were going to England and we were flying across from Chicago, across the northern route up there. I, I met Diane and, matter of fact, Chad and Jarrett was with us on that trip. We got out over the ocean. I never will forget. I, you know, I've been honest with you all. I, I like flying. I just don't like it turbulent. And that pilot comes on. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to prepare yourself. I'm going to have the stewardess sit down for a little bit. When they tell you that, you know it's going to get rough. And especially when they come and get your coffee cup. You know it's going to be bad then. He said, we're getting ready. We're getting ready to push against the jet stream. And it'll just be a few moments. We're going to get through it. And I mean, it was like five minutes and man, you could feel that plane pressing in to that jet stream. I don't know if he throttled it up or it was just the sound of the pressure from the outside, but I believe he put the pedal to the metal. He was giving that plane everything he's got and we're bouncing around like a ping pong ball and I'm watching my boys have fun and I'm sitting there praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> But a few moments, we got through it because we got a destination to get to. We were competing. We were, the struggle was to get us through to where we wanted to go. Here's the third definition. It's to contend with an adversary. To contend with an adversary. Here's the fourth definition. It means to accomplish something. So when you put all of those together, I believe sometimes what God is doing and what life brings to us, sometimes there's just a struggle. I'm struggling spiritually. I'm struggling with me because I don't understand. I'm struggling with the age. The times that we're in, I, I don't know, especially us that are gray hairs in this room and mine's gray with a little bit of touch of gray on top. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> but but we struggle we struggle I, I've heard people I, I, especially the older we get listen our younger generation and those that are new in the Lord and those that don't know don't understand the struggle matter of fact they look at us and say what are you guys struggling for they don't feel the struggle that you, everything is so new, everything is so ripe, everything is so fresh to them, but it's old news to us and it's not how we've done it that it becomes a struggle for us. It's not a bad thing, but it's a struggle. We struggle with this age thing. Oh, come on. We're getting older, whether you like it or not. I don't like it. I'll be honest, I think my age is just a number. 
But everybody wants to celebrate a birthday. I think it's the worst thing that we can do. My friend Walt Mills, when he was alive, everybody knows who Brother Walt is, right? He'd been with these. He's gone to be with the Lord. Love Brother Walt. He was of a different cut, different generation of preacher. But he would say this. We had asked him a number of times, how old are you, Walt? He wouldn't tell. And it's not because he didn't want anybody to know his age. This is why he didn't tell. Because when I tell my age, they don't want me. Come on. They don't want me when I tell them. Churches don't want me. I had a pastor call me recently. A brother said, hey, do you know of a church that might be open? I'm looking for a place to pastor. I don't have to have a big congregation. He's like up in his 70s. I said, yeah, I know where there's a couple, but I hate to tell you this. You're not invited. I didn't tell him like that. That was kind. I said, brother, I don't want to. I don't want to offend you, but they're not looking for a 75-year-old man to lead their church anymore. They're looking for young men. They're looking for fresh fire. They're looking for fresh energy. See, I know that becomes offensive, and it became offensive to him because here's the reality of what he said. But, brother, once they hear me and they know what I've got on the inside of me, they'll want me to be a part. That may be true, but the times have changed and it becomes offensive to us. See, it's a part of the struggle. It's a part of the struggle that we're in. It messes with our emotions. I was going to put this in somewhere later, but I might as well touch that right now. Listen, if we let our emotions get messed up, we're going to miss divine opportunities. Did you ever think about Psalms 23 from this aspect? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Third part of that, or the third blessing of that is, he restoreth my soul. Because it's real easy for my soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions to get messed up. And once that gets messed up, I'm not going to lie down in peace. And I'm really not going to walk by the still waters. So he said, he restoreth my soul. Then he leads me in paths. Listen to this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He'll say to me, Zach, this isn't about you. Just come on with me. This is all about me. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here it is. The valley of the shadow of death is a literal place. It's not talking about a bad place you're in. It's a literal place. I understand between Jerusalem and Jericho along the journey, it is a place where there would be rocks and cliffs and everything else and a place where bandits and robbers would be easily overtake anybody that would be traveling by themselves. But he said this, because yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me notice what he said though I walk through the valley of the shadow wait a minute if there's a shadow there's a shadow right here I know most of you can't see it but there's a shadow right here 
It's the shadow off of this podium. So there's a dark spot right here. You might be in a dark spot, but it's something has gotten between you and the light. That's why the shadow is there. And here's the reality. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, something has gotten between you and the Lord himself that is casting a shadow that is bringing fear into your life. But you have to realize and know that the Lord is with us and he will not let us be overtaken. He said, my rod and my staff, his direction and his correction, his word and his director, it will lead us on through. That's what the word said. Remember, we're in a struggle. This thing can be a fight. I'm competing for, I've got somewhere. I've got to get, we're contending. We're contending against an adversary. I want to tell you, I know the enemy is always fighting, but sometimes we're not fighting the enemy. Listen to me, we're fighting against God. That could never happen to me. Really? Who is he talking to? Paul. And when you go and find Paul, from the first mention of him in Scripture, he is known as Saul. And we find him in Acts chapter 8, persecuting the church. He's opposing anybody carrying the name of Jesus. He's imprisoning them. He's having them put to death. He is there at Stephen's stoning. And he's on the road. Turn to Acts chapter 9. He is on the road after seeing Stephen stoned. And the scripture says in Acts 9. that Notice how verse 1 is. Saul still breathing out threats. And murderers against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. Now, it makes Paul look like a bad guy. But everything Paul is doing, he's doing in his devotion to God that he, that he believes he's serving with all of his heart. That's why he said in the book of Philippians, I got to tell you who I am. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And of concerning the law, there isn't anybody that's got more understanding of the law than I do. He's a church going, if I could do it, he's a church going saint of God tied giving believer of the Lord and yet he's fighting against God's move people are being one to Jesus and he's shutting it down and then the Bible said that he's as he's journeyed he's asked letters he, he's asked letters from him to the synagogues of, of, of Damascus so that if any be found who are on the way, whether men or women, he may bring them bound to Jerusalem. But while he's going, then the verse said in verse 3, and suddenly a light shone around him and a voice. Then he fell to the ground and a voice spoke to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now let's at him. He says, who are you speaking? Who are you? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. 
He wasn't fighting against a move. He was fighting against Jesus. Don't think we can't fight against the Lord. He was fighting against Jesus. And he said, whom you are persecuting, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What was he talking about? He said, Paul or Saul, I've been trying to lead you. A gold was a stick, a long staff with a point on it that the guy leading the ox would use to direct that ox. He would push it into his leg or to his thigh to get him to move or to get him to turn. And if he wouldn't do it, he would keep sticking him. And evidently, notice what the Lord said. It is hard for you. Evidently, God said, I've been poking you, Saul, but you are still stubborn. So I've had to knock you off of your high horse. I've had to lay you down a bit. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he said to him, arise, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. He said, Saul, I'm not going to let you see what you've been looking at because you're going to have to get a different vision than what you've been looking at. You're going to have to start seeing things from a different perspective. You're going to have to see it from another angle. And so then they take him on in to Damascus. And while he's there for three days without sight, he neither eats nor drinks. Now he's bringing him the reason he's fasting, I believe, is this. Not to get to buy anything, but he is humbling him and he's bringing him to the end of his flesh. Because Saul is operating in his flesh, not in the spirit. There are many times that we think we're operating in spirit, but we're really operating in our flesh. Man, I got to get this jet down. So then the word said that now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And he said to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, here am I. He said, here am I, Lord. And he said, arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Man, I think if I just had an encounter like that, I got struck off my horse, I became blind. I think my prayer life just came to a new level. Oh, come on, somebody. What's he praying about? I believe we don't hear that there, but I believe he was praying, God, what do you want me to do? God, show me. Let me see clearly what you're doing. Help me to understand. I don't want to fight against you, God. I don't want a war against you, Lord. And he was praying, and in a vision he saw a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, and that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many things about this man and how much harm he has done to to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Boy, that's a man. I Just think about that. God can give you authority, but if we don't see properly, we will misuse the authority that God has given us to unseat principalities, but we will use it in harm and unseat the things of God. 
Wow, didn't even never seen that to that moment. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. Listen to this. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Or the word suffer can also mean I will show him things that he'll have to go through in order to get there. And many times that will be with pain. But he didn't show him everything at the moment. He spoke that to Ananias. He said, I need him. Go put your hands on him. And Ananias went and laid his hands upon Saul. And the scales from his eyes fell. And he began to see clearly. And when we read our Bible, it looks like Saul just got up and just started preaching all over. I don't think it worked that way. But for the next three years, he sat at the feet of the apostles of that day and began to receive and learn and have divine revelation and insight that came from God. Till now, two-thirds of our New Testament is is pinned by the hand of Paul two thirds two thirds of it but remember when he's speaking to Timothy Timothy never gets credit for pinning anything why because Paul Timothy is going to live out everything that Paul had vision of the grace the goodness the mercy of God he's going to leave the next wave of that on the earth till we will be writing the history hello he said Paul he's fighting against me there was a time before that The disciples were gone out and they were doing the works of the Lord. They were healing people. The man at the uh, the gate beautiful was healed. You would think everybody would rejoice over the miracles, the healing. But instead the religious sector said, no, we don't want any of that name of Jesus preached. We command you to stop it. They would put them in prison and before they could get back to their offices here, hey, we got word those guys are back on the street preaching Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5, I believe it is, there's one place. You don't have to throw it up there, Miss D. I don't think I even gave it to you. One of them said, listen, I think it's found in chapter 5 for you guys that are taking notes. Uh, verse, verse 38 said, now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you can't overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. I'm just, I'm making a point. We've got to struggle, but we want to make sure that we're not struggling against God and what God is doing in the time or what God is doing at the moment. It's a spiritual struggle. We all see things. We all feel things. And then there was a place that as Paul goes on his journey, there was another place that Paul was going through Asia. It's in Acts chapter 20. I think, let's see, verse chapter, seven, chapter 20, verse 17. Uh, Paul says this, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for more of the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, 
He said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I, I was always lived among you, serving the Lord with humility, with tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I go not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies that, that in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. I think I brought that scripture up to say this, that a lot of times we don't understand how, where we get to but, and why we're getting there. But if we're just willing to follow Jesus and keep him the center of our life, Jesus is going to be magnified through it all. He said, you're going to have to understand, Timmy, there's going to be a fight. We're going to have struggles with this move of God. I'm fighting. I fight. Listen, I fight all the time. God, I want to follow you. That's my prayer more than anything. I want to be led by your spirit more than anything. God, I don't understand. I know what I like. I know what I want, but sometimes it's not going that direction. And I'm saying I struggle. I, be, I have to be honest. Even sometimes I, I want to get, hey, do you believe this is of God? Do you believe where we're going is of God? Do you believe? I, I'm trying to look because of the struggle that I know that I know God has put in my heart. And if I struggle as a leader, I know many of you are struggling sometimes with what God is saying and what God is doing. Because here's the deal. We all have a lot of things we like. And a lot of things we have been involved in. But I've got to have a right attitude. I've got to have a finishing attitude. He said, I, I finished my course. God had something for me to do. I've watched people quit. I don't mean quit church. I mean quit. Because things change. Things went different. They just... It, it, it overthrew them because their attitude wasn't right towards the things that God was doing. I, I got I to get this down. So here's the thing you got, you got to do. We got to stay in faith. We got to believe that God is, it, God is doing something. I may not understand it, but I, I, I got to believe it. I, I don't understand why God says, why don't you just put your hand on somebody and watch me heal them? I don't understand some of the things that, that God has had us do over the years. I don't understand why God says give and it'll be given to you, especially when I'm in need. I don't understand some of the things that the Lord, but I've got to have my faith in God that he sees the end from the beginning and he knows the all in between. So what do we got to do? I'm going to use some of Dutch's message, if you don't mind, from this morning. First of all, we've got to recognize what God is doing. we got to recognize what God is doing. I heard some of the same stuff from Tim Sheets, his brother, as he's prophesying out of, out of Washington, D.C. Many of you are following these prophets. So if they're telling us that we've got to recognize what God is doing, think about Israel. Let's go back from all the way back. God appears. God appears. To Israel, he comes to 
Moses said, heaven build me a sanctuary and I'm going to come and dwell among them. And he builds this tabernacle out of skins. He says, let the people that are willing bring me an offering. And so when they built it, it was finished and furnished according to the pattern. The glory of the Lord rested upon it. Now keep this in mind. Israel camped about the tabernacle. Three tribes north, three south, three east, and three west. Everybody had the view of the glory of God, but everybody saw it from a different angle. And here's the deal. God said, as long as my fire and my glory is resting upon this thing, nobody moves. We camp right here. But if it moves, you pack everything up. We're shifting. We're going. And whether we go for a day or whether we go for a year or we stay for a day or we stay for a year, when my cloud moves, you move with it. Who knew who to give order to? Who recognized the cloud? Sometimes when you've camped around it so long, you don't even recognize it's even budging. But then Moses or Aaron, the high priest, or who the priesthood had to recognize, wait a minute, cloud's moving, cloud's shifting. We got to break camp. Everybody get ready. An alarm would be sounded, the trumpet, a, a silver trumpet would be sounding, which would call a gathering of the people. Hey, everybody, we're getting ready to move. They'd break the tent down and here they would go. And they may journey for a few hours, may journey for a day, but then set it up. That went on for years. But then there came a day it totally changed again. Now David comes on the scene. David's living in a palace and he said, wait a minute, my God's still living in a tent. Why should I live in this sealed house while my God is living in a tent? I'll build him a place. God appears to David and said, David, I've never asked anybody to build me a place. What makes you think you can contain me anyway? Hello? What makes you think you can contain me? But he gave him a plan by the Spirit. And he said, David, you'll not build this house because you're a man of bloodshed and war. And sometimes we can't build because of the junk that's in our life. But he said, I'm going to have your son Solomon, whose name means peace. And he's going to build this, this tabernacle. And it's going to be made of stones. Stones that have cricked me, some of my scholars here, that you're not going to put a hammer on it. In other words, it's not going to be carved by what you think it ought to look like, but it's going to be done by my hand. And when Solomon finished the tabernacle according to the pattern and he began to offer worship and the singers and the musicians began to be as one, the glory of the Lord filled it. Totally different than the tabernacle in the wilderness. Matter of fact, nobody could go into the tabernacle Back there except the priest. But in David's tabernacle, it opened up a way that everybody could come in. It was a picture of everybody coming in to the very presence of God. Years past, prophets began to prophesy. A Savior's going to be born. A new move is going to come. His name is going to be called Jesus. This temple is, got, is no longer going to be. Matter of fact, it was torn down a number of years later. It was overtaken because of the sins of Israel. And Israel was coming back and they're weeping because their temple that they have worshipped in 
is not looking like it once did. And in the book of Haggai, it says something like this. He said, do you see this temple in the glory that you saw it in years past? You won't. But he said this, the glory of the latter house will be far greater than the glory of the former. I don't know about you. I want the greater glory, not the former. But it won't look like yesterday. And Jesus comes on the scene. John says, Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, baptizing the dove descends. Heaven opens and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus keeps moving and he starts ministering and he's healing and he's setting people free. But get this, while Jesus is preaching the kingdom and people are being healed and people are being delivered, there's a whole group still bringing their lambs. Hello, we can't see it any other way. They're bringing their lambs. Now you talk about it being different. Jesus hangs on the cross. He said, it's finished. He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, which I believe he was giving it to his church. And Jesus goes into the grave. He comes up. And then 40 days later, 50 day, 40 days later, as Pastor Chris preached to us Sunday, he begins to ascend. And he said, this Jesus, whom you see go away, the angel said, shall come again in like manner. Hey, where did you? go you left us they feel it they're in a struggle they feel it it doesn't feel like when Jesus was here but he said I won't be beside you he said I'm coming to be in you now a complete different move and they had to realize do you ever think about the man at the gate beautiful if Peter and John would have had money, you know what he would have gotten? Silver and gold. But because he didn't have money, they were forced to release something fresh on the inside of them that brought freedom and deliverance to a man that was his lifetime bound. Hello, are you okay? We got to recognize what God is doing. I'm just telling you what Dutch said. Discern the time by listening to him. I got to make sure. God, am I hearing clearly? I'm hearing. Am I hearing? I, I, I heard it. You know, I heard. You remember, let me go back to Saul. When he spoke to Anna and I said, hey, I need him. I'm going to use him to stand before kings. I'm going to use him to stand before I'm going to the Jews. I'm going to use him to stand before the Gentiles. I'm going to send him around the world. Man, that's a great word, isn't it? But what we didn't hear was how he was going to get there and how he was going to get what he got. Do you realize that you and I would never have the New Testament had not Paul been locked up? You and I would have never had anything because Paul would have been, he was probably not a writer. He was forced in the prison under a chain. That's why many times he said, I've got this chain upon me, but this gospel cannot be stopped. But God pinned it. Why? Because the moment he pinned it, it became settled in heaven and on earth so that you and I can pick it up and run with it. He's going to use me before Gentiles. 
He's going to stand me before kings. I've already ordered my jet. I've already went and got me some new suits made. Some custom shoes because I'm going to stand before kings, but I haven't got an invitation. Because maybe that's not how I'm going to go. And it may be if I go that way, I won't fulfill the mission that he's sending me on. I'm talking, Michael. Let me give you the second thing. Listen, or here's the last thing. Dutch said again, we got to move with it in faith. Why does he say it? Because we're not going to understand everything. Last night I had a pastor from Anna telling me about a great move of God in his church. Brand new church, just a little over a year, maybe two years at the most old. He talked about what God was doing as they linked the arms with other leaders around their area and how it seemed to release something. Then I had another pastor just told me we had this meeting. He said it was the smallest crowd we've ever had. Had a special guest in. And he said, we're having this meeting and this holy hush came on the building. He said, we couldn't do nothing. We couldn't speak. He said, I wanted to. But he said, I felt if I moved, I just feared the Lord. I felt that so strong. We've been there a few times. It's been a long time. But he said that went on for about 30 or 40 minutes. Boy, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're somebody like me. Seriously, it's hard. Let's just get still in the presence of God. Let's don't say a word. And you think, what happened? Small group of people. But he said the next morning after that meeting, which was yesterday, he said a lady in his church, which was 72 years old, she said, Pastor, I want to tell you what happened in the silence. She said, I dealt with issues from abuse from my father, from my childhood. I'm 72 years of age. And last night in the moment of silence, God sealed me and set me free from it. And nobody got around her. Just the presence of God. So my point being with that, do I trust God enough when I don't understand that he's capable of getting his job done? Even when it's not what I like, not what I feel, not what I want, but trust him. We're in shifting times. Dutch called it divine shifts. Whew. Those are hard places. Those are hard places. It's scary. Remember, it's going to bring. It's going to mean you're going to have a struggle, Timothy. Because the times you're in, Timothy, are tough. They're perilous. You're going to have to understand, Timothy, the times are, are going to cause you to struggle. But, Timothy, keep an attitude. Keep a right. Keep your emotions. Because that's where your attitude really gets its seat at, is in your emotions, in your will. Keep your attitude right. You ever have to tell you can't get your attitude right? Get your attitude right. They didn't like something you said or what you want them to do. You had, hey, you need to get your attitude straightened out. I know none of us ever have that, but just in case it comes that way, I want you to know. And then lastly, he said, you got to keep the faith, Timothy. Stay in faith. We've got to walk in faith more than ever before right now. I don't understand this. 
my last comment. I promise. At my campus the other day, at Life Care, I had five people in wheelchairs. Breaks my heart. Some of them can't communicate. Some of them can't move. And I'm preaching this message about being bound up. And I said, I know you didn't ask for this and want to be there. And I said, you think God has forgotten you. But did you ever think about the cross? Michael, when he laid himself down on that cross and that soldier took that big spike and drove it into his hands and to his feet, he was absolutely bound. And I said, the reason he took that, because he knew the time or the bondage that you might be in so that he could help you through that moment. And sometimes he brings you out of it and sometimes he just takes you through it. But however it is, he's always with you. As many people as all Roberts healed in tent meetings as they would march by him. Do you realize he had to have surgery on his shoulders? Because of laying his hands on people? Is that, wait a minute, God, I just healed all these people and I got to have surgery. They said Wigglesworth would raise the dead from babies to adults to everything else, but would leave bloody because of kidney stones. God, I don't understand, but you know what he had to do through the pain and through the blood, through everything that was gone. God, I trust that you are doing something beyond I see because we're in a moment of a divine shift. Times are changing. It's demanding it everywhere. I didn't like seeing my brother Gary go, but he left whether I liked it or not. Don't understand those things. But he left anyway. We don't understand everything that's happening. But I'm going to trust the Lord. Amen. Come on, stand with me tonight. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you that I know that we're in unique times. I believe that we're in the times of the greatest move, God, that we have ever seen on this planet. God, I believe it's the culmination of everything from the past that is being put together. Lord, that you are releasing it. We're already in it. May we see it every day, everywhere we go. May we have a greater awareness. God, remove the scales from our eyes so that we can see clearly and know what is happening. God, may our emotions be settled and not moved and pressed about God, but may we have a right attitude that we will finish and Lord we will stay strong in faith I declare that tonight over this place over this people lift your hands to the Lord I want to bless you I bless you to walk now in a greater understanding than you've ever walked in the things of God 
May you be as the sons of Issachar to have an understanding of the time and seasons. May your eyes be so clear and so bright to the things of the Lord that you will even see what the enemy is up to before he even knows what he's going to do. I bless you to walk in peace. I bless you to walk in an assurance that you are in the place of God, that you are confident about the plan of God for your life, for the steps of a good man and woman are ordered of the Lord and I bless you to be strong in faith, unshakable unmovable, abounding in the things of God in Jesus name Amen, Amen